Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. And I'm Richard Oscar Roper. That is my Oscar. middle name. A lot of people don't yeah. realize that. That's what I was wondering about. Roar. R-O-R. All right. Now, let me just tell you something. Uh, the Oscars are right around the corner, yep. and we have the full ballot. Yep. And you also have all of the explanations needed to explain why it's going to look yeah, so I, totally I, different. I got to say, you know, it, they made these changes, and I, I know we got to get to and thank our, all our fine folks and everything before we really, really get started. But before we get started, the preamble to the precursor to the uh, prelogue to the yeah. prologue here is uh, the more you read about these changes, the more confusing it is. So it's up to the Screen Time podcast mm-hmm. to clarify it for everybody, and that's what we're going to do today. Special investigation. There you go. Send a unit out on that. SUV or SVU or CSI, FBI, something. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, it says here, and it could be today's business environment. You need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your business success because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Get started today at AmericanEagle.com. We are just days or hours, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, away from the 900th edition of the Oscars. Please tell me, what is this going to look like? Okay, yes. I think it's the 94th. You know, I found an old baseball cap the other day from the 80th. So uh, back in the day when I'd be going out there every year, and I know I've said this before, I was thrilled to cover the Oscars in person eight or nine times. More thrilled not to have to do it because it's really kind of a, a cluster F out there and it's mm-hmm. very, very long days. I know it's first world problems, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the Super Bowl. It sounds great when you think about seeing it in person, but the reality is it plays better as a TV event. So, yeah. Ro Khan, I have for yeah. you, they have announced changes to the broadcast of the Academy Awards. As we all know, the ratings have continued to dwindle over the years. It's still one of the top most popular programs of the year, but not nowhere near the, the numbers they used to get. And it goes on too long, and it goes on for four hours. And especially on the East Coast, that means it's like almost midnight. You know, people are going to bed. Mm-hmm. And you have some of these, you know, dry moments when they bring up, uh, you know, live action winner and best documentary short. So here's what they're going to do. They're still going to include uh, all 23 categories in the Oscar ceremony itself next Sunday at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood. The attendees are going to arrive. There's going to be a big red carpet like they've done in the past. They haven't done in the last couple of years. And then they're going to do these eight so-called lesser categories, including uh, editing, which, of course, is not a lesser category, but you know what I mean, more technical stuff, right? Uh, makeup, costumes, things like that. Then they're going to go to the live broadcast, which they hope to keep to three hours, and they're going to play little excerpts from the acceptance speeches of those eight categories during the broadcast. So the winners will still be on TV. They're just not going to have the whole thing where all five nominees are read. And then they announce the winner. And, of course, if you're nominated for a documentary short, you're in the balcony, right? You're, you're almost in, in the lobby. You might even be outside on Hollywood and Highland. You know? So it takes forever to get to the stage. And then the, you know, the voiceover person, this is the third nomination and first win for Margaret McNobody, who you've never heard of, but is very talented. And we're, I'm they not saying they're not Oscar. talented. They are, but they just yeah. got an Oscar, which is awesome. But then it's somebody you've never heard of, thanking people you've never heard of for work you've never seen in a lot of cases. And often in those smaller categories of well, the documentarians tend to want to get up and make a speech because yeah. many of them are activists and they've done some yeah, sort of done fabulously yeah. important piece yep. of, of 
journalism or yes. whatever it is, and they like to get up and talk about the water crisis in Rwanda while we're sitting here. Yes. You know, trying to go, hey, hey, hey where's Ben Affleck? Well, that's absolutely true. <laughs> right? We want to know those things, and, and we don't want to hear their political speeches necessarily. Sometimes it's, it's overly entertaining because they can be just you know, out of control. Right. There was a winner a few years back. I think her entire gown was made of like American Express cards, like gold cards or something as some sort of statement on capitalism. <laughs> and yeah, you know, we are not in any way, shape or form denigrating the, you know, the great work that's done. Same thing with, you know, production design and, and sound and all of that. But and, and, you know, there's been a whole thing where all these filmmakers had, you know, wrote this petition to the Academy. Please reconsider this. And, well, of course, if you're a director, you're not going to say, ah, who cares about production design and sound and makeup? I mean, they depend on those great craftspersons to put together, you know, beautiful films. The point that I think a lot of these protests that, you know, these high profile protests and a lot of viewers are saying, oh, I don't want this. The point they're missing is it doesn't make for good television. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the Academy saying these awards don't count. They're, they're trying, and Disney and ABC, Disney, which owns ABC, was pretty adamant about you're going to have to make some changes here or we're going to rethink things because it's big business television, Ro, and it just doesn't work as television. You've said this in the past, and I, I couldn't agree more. You know, The award ceremony that got it right, and it's been many years now, is the Grammys, right? Yes. Because it, it, it's been turned into a, a cool jam an all-star concert it barely right. matters i mean it matters but you know the categories are so hard to figure out in the grammys anyway half the time right. original song 60 and something categories yeah. yeah but you end up with uh, this amazing collection of artists performing you know young hip-hop artists and pop singers but also you know hall of famers so all of a sudden you got ariana grande and paul mccartney on stage or whatever the case may be and it's just a celebration of the music we can't have everybody from Belfast reenact one of the scenes on stage. <laughs> and scene, you know. Uh, right. But, but, but you but, can get musical numbers. And they said even that, though, they might not have all five musical numbers played all the way through. Because sometimes that can be a little tedious because yeah. it's not always the people who perform the song. I remember famously, this is going back, I think, to the 80s row. Phil Collins uh, wrote the, the theme from Against All Odds, which, yes. by the way, is a great thriller with Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward. If you haven't had a chance to see it, it holds up very, very well. But Against All Odds was a great song, too. Mm -hmm. And a Broadway uh, singer-dancer by the name of Anne Ranking, who's greatly talented, but right. she butchered it, and she just it just wasn't her. You know, it, it wasn't in her comfort zone. And she and at one point, she kind of walked up to a horrified Phil Collins in the audience <laughs> singing his song to him. And you think, well, you got your Phil Collins right there. He can sing. Yeah. You know, put him up there. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that was a mistake. I, if I were to redo all of this, I would look at it from two different perspectives. And I think that's a little bit of where they're heading here. Mm. But they're trying to split the baby on the way, yeah. which is you may, maybe you just have to pull the Band-Aid right off right now and change this thing completely. Mm. They're trying to be both. They're trying to be hoity-toity. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Right. They have this, you know, brand new big museum that they've yeah. opened up, right? And the woman from TCM is running it. And and they're getting a lot of publicity around that. And they and then, you know, for like people who are really cinema geeks, yeah. there is a whole world for this. And and I, I grew up a cinema geek and I loved the Oscars. It was one of my favorite things of the year yeah. to look forward to because two things were happening simultaneously. It was like a moment where everybody in my family would sit down and stop fighting with each other oh, and nice. watch something. That was it. And it ah. was spring. 
It was a Monday oh, night. Yeah. Remember, yeah. it was always on Mondays. It yeah, it wasn't was on, on the Monday. weekend. Correct, yeah. So it was a Monday night, and it would start at like 7 o'clock, and it would go to 1 o'clock in the morning. It was a gigantic event. Everybody yeah. talked about it the next day. Did you see what blah, blah, blah was wearing or whatever this was? And then, it, and then all of a sudden, because people started talking about those very specific lanes of occurrence in mm-hmm. the telecast, next thing you know, you got Joan Rivers. And she's like, oh, you know what? It, everybody does care about what everybody's wearing. Yeah. So who are you wearing? And that whole thing started. And that's, again, decades ago yeah. that started. But then it became like everything else in television does or has over the last 20 years is everything has to be smaller, faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to get to the next thing. And it's got to be very predictable because cable and then eventually you know, Hulu and Netflix and all the rest of the over the top stuff that has occurred, our ability to all coalesce around mm. one campfire for any particular yeah, period of time yeah. starts a fight with us about, well, I want more of this or I want less yeah, of that because yeah. we the, the media's fine tuned everything to us, right? So we're yeah. we can choose our own experience. That's where the Oscars have to go. I get that you, you want them on TikTok? Is that what you're saying? Like, I, I'm saying that they should do like a whole big thing and then you choose what you want. I guess that's a little bit of what's happening here. You're going to be able to watch all the technical stuff in advance, right? Well, you're going to see it. I, first of all, I don't know for sure, honestly, because again, I read everything about this and it was still confusing. I don't know why, I don't know why they just didn't say we're going to be streaming for the first hour and then we're going to put it on old-fashioned television. But what they're what they're definitely going to do is is record those first eight categories and then splice them into the broadcast that night. Right. They so do you that come out of a commercial. Yeah, you come out of a commercial break and you'll see the best, you know, the winner for best editing. They'll say, you know, giving their speech. It'll be twenty-seven seven seconds instead of five minutes. Right. I'm all with you on this. You know, when I was growing up, first really kind of cognizant of the Oscars was really kind of the early 70s, which was a great time for the Oscars because, as we've talked about, that was this transition that Hollywood was going through from about 1965, 66 through the 70s where the nature of films was was changing, you know, the French New Wave and independent films. But you still had all that old Hollywood stuff going right. on. So, you know, John Wayne would get up there and say, I don't know what's going on with these hippies, but I think we should send more <laughs> troops to Vietnam. <laughs> but then Brando would, you know, not accept the Oscar, Marlon Brando, because of the Hollywood's treatment of, of, of Native Americans. And and then George C. Scott didn't like the idea that it was a contest, so he didn't want his Oscar for Pat. By the way, they still won those Oscars. They don't actually get to give them back. Right, right. Uh, but then you'd get the cool new wave. So Nicholson and Pacino were in the crowd. And Johnny Carson, who kind of bridged that gap, too, because he was always cool. Right. He, you know, even Regardless. when he wasn't cool, Carson was, you know, Carson, I always loved the fact that he, you know, he drove his Corvette to the Tonight Show studios. Every year, he got a brand new Corvette and yeah. could pull that up. Right. Uh, but I'll tell you this, too. You know, speaking of all the, the events and ceremonies and stuff, for years, I did red carpet stuff for KABC, which is the ABC affiliate in Los Angeles. Obviously, mm-hmm. a big deal for them. But it was syndicated to like 200 countries. So, And Roger Ebert and I, and then the folks from KABC, George Pinocchio, who's a terrific entertainment reporter. He's been out there for you know decades. Uh, we would start doing it at like 11 in the morning for different time zone. Hey, wow. we're live in Thailand, you know, and <laughs> keep doing the And, the, and I, I've told this famously, if you win the Academy Award, you're always invited back. It's sort of like, what's the Masters? Is that it, Ro? If you win the Masters, yes. you're invited back, mm-hmm. right, to play. Right. You don't have to be, you, even if you're older. So if you win the Academy Award, so, so Ernest Borgnine, who won in, I believe, 1955 for Marty, right? He always showed up like three hours early because he knew that, 
hey, we got it. You know, we we couldn't just keep interviewing Wolfgang Puck, and you know people like that or each other right. on the red carpet. Right. So you'd interview Ernest Borgnine, and it just kept going on and on. So we do like six hours of that, and then after the Oscars, we do the post show for eight hours. Wow, you know so. That's part of the reasons why I got so jaded about this. But as a television event, I get what you're saying. They got to make changes. I'll give you some numbers from recent years, Ro. Now, last year was was an anomaly, right? We know that they did the uh, the broadcast from the uh, train station downtown, the right. famous LA train station, uh, and then they had a hub in the European hub was in London at a great repertory theater there. Yeah, uh, and there was no real red carpet. It was very odd. It didn't work oh, at all. Yeah. So well, they when had- they said train station, I'm sorry, let me just, before we get to the yeah. specifics, when they said train station, all I could think of was like a train station in a major city. That's basically where runaways and heroin acts are yeah. hanging out, right? There's not a whole lot of glamour to a train station. I could, no. I know it's a beautiful yeah, and it's facility. been used for you know the Dark Knight and yeah, uh, Untouchables but- and all kinds of great movie sets as courtrooms. It could be a bank lobby, but it's still not you know a movie. It's not a, it's not the Kodak you know now Dolby Theater. No, it, it was an odd choice. No, it's it's yeah. a hub of human trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> trafficking a, a, hub, a hub of humans who are <laughs> avoiding traffic maybe i don't know if it's human trafficking that's all <laughs> i think it is that too serious anyway let me give you the numbers here yeah uh so it had uh, 9.85 million viewers that was a drop of almost 60 percent from the previous year so you know as recently as 2020 they had 24 million viewers that's a big number so it you know that drop off isn't really you know, representative. It's not so. The other thing is, this year they're going to be able to say, "Hey, the ratings are up because they can't possibly be that low again." So even if it gets fifteen or sixteen million, they're going to be able to say, "Look at that! It still does better." Uh, believe it or not, actually, it you know the Grammys had eight point eight million, the last Golden Globe Awards that we might see for a very long time, six point nine million. Uh, you know, NFL football averages about fifteen million viewers for their primetime telecast. So the Oscars in normal years still does better than not, not the Super Bowl, but does better than like the NCAA and a lot mm-hmm. of events that you think might be more, you know, conducive and hipper or, or oh, you know, more relevant because people still want to see the fancy movie stars and right. get, getting their gold trophies. And there's nothing wrong with escapism, right? Right. And now uh, this is an era where most people have seen, if you're watching the Oscars, you have a greater likelihood of seeing more movies that have been yes. nominated than you ever did before. There were years, you know, where especially when I was younger. Obviously, when we started working in yeah. in the entertainment industry, we, and you specifically, you had to see every film because yeah. you're world famous film critic. So you got to be able to do that. For me, as just a lowly talk show host, yeah. I'd see some of them, not others. Yeah. I'd have you doing the reviews on the show. You'd you'd make you'd make sense of all of it, and then I would know who to root for, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily see everything. Yeah. Now, you kind of have seen everything, and there are going to be a lot of people disappointed that Bridgerton is not up for an Oscar this year. <laughs> no, it's not. Neither is Squid Game. It still has to be a movie movie. Uh, but to your point, you know, I think there's this misconception that in the past, because everyone talks about 1997, Titanic won all these Oscars, and that was the highest rated Oscar telecast of all time, or maybe in recent history. So this misconception that in the past it was all big commercial hits. That's never been the case. Even if you go back to the 40s and 50s, it was a combination of commercial hits and critical favorites. Now you have this huge indie movement. But to to your point, Ro, there are 10 pictures nominated right now. I, I don't know if any of them aren't available for you to watch at home right now you know uh, via streaming or whatever the case may be you might have to pay for it yeah you might you might have to pay a premium for it now in the past what would happen 
the five best picture nominees would be announced and they would actually put the the studios would put those films back in theaters for a limited release around Oscar time if people wanted to catch up with them. But it's always been kind of this combination of artsy films and more popular stuff. You look at the best picture nominees and we're going to go through the whole ballot, but you know, you know movies like uh West Side Story, uh King Richard, Dune, those are big commercial films. Some of them did better than others, but those are mainstream Hollywood productions. And then you have the smaller independent films, uh, but you don't have to go to the theater. Some of them are still playing in theaters right now, but you have access to them at home. So if you want to, you can catch up with Licorice Pizza and uh, Coda, for example, or Drive My Car, you know, smaller films that, that got uh, nominated and the performances as well. So that, I think, helps. It always helps if you have a rooting interest. But you know, for me, it's still... It's still fun, and I listen, people go, well, you know, the state of the world today, how could they have this party? Well, the world's always in a state. I mean, and you know that somebody's going to talk about Ukraine. You know somebody's going to talk sure. about some other issues. I'm, I'm fine with that, too. I don't think you need to as an actor. We all know how you feel. And it, to well, me, you got it's Instagram sort of like, now, and yeah. you got the TikTok, yeah. well, and well, you got everything else point, you need. Too. You, you got other platforms to do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with folks taking a break from the news of the world and Hollywood celebrating itself. I mean, they're playing basketball. We're going to get baseball pretty soon. Historically in this country, you know, after the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963, I think the NFL took one weekend off. And then it was back to playing sports, playing football, because people needed that. And the, the Oscars have been pushed back once or twice during wartime uh, in 68 because Martin Luther King had been assassinated. They pushed it back a few days. But they go on. The show goes on. And I remember during, I don't remember this because I wasn't alive, but reading about this, I think there was a lot of discussion during World War II. Should they keep playing baseball? And I remember you know reading that yeah. uh, President Roosevelt and President Truman were like, yes, we need that. You know, right. everybody needs that. You need to go to a ball game. You need to, we need to keep living our lives even when times are, are you know, very tumultuous. I love when we're self-important about yeah. being self-important. Yeah. And that's where that comes into it's play. True. And let's face it, this now in the grand scheme of media types and celebrities making themselves uh, lovable or hateable, the Oscars have nothing to do with that anymore. Yeah. That used to be the way it would happen, yeah. right? We often go back to that whole Marlon Brando, Sasheen, Little Feather kerfuffle mm -hmm. back in the 1970s and about Native American rights and all of this stuff that happened at the Oscars. People are like, oh my God, why is politics intersecting with entertainment? And that was 50 freaking years ago. People were arguing about that. And it no longer has a place because politics, pop culture, everything, it's just one gigantic, basically, puppy pile. <laughs> and that, that well, is, that's it, man. You know this, uh, you know, for many, many years, when Roe would host his uh, radio show, which would be four hours every day, and I was on often with him. And maybe it would be, you know, two weeks before a presidential election or maybe there was a huge international crisis going on or whatever the case may be. 
and you would do interviews. You'd interview a United States senator, and then you'd bring in a health expert if it was about something going on with the spread of a disease or whatever, you know, stuff that was happening in our hometown of Chicago. You know, if there was, you know, protests going on or some sort of, you know, horrific shooting, and, and you would do all that, and you were great at it. And then, you know, it's a four-hour show, and then it maybe, maybe in the last half hour, you'd bring a chef in to do something fun or you'd talk sports, and we'd have these text lines lighting up. I can't believe... You're, you know, all of this is happening and you're doing this light fair. And it's like, well, we, we did three and a half hours. And I get that now when if I tweet about a movie or a streaming series, someone will go, really, you think we care about that right now? But then if I tweet about the Ukraine, hey, listen, can you just stick to movies? We need, a, you know, so you can't win. Right. So you don't try to win. Well, yeah. well, everybody now has the democracy of their fingers. On their phones, and they get to get to weigh in, and the more outrageous they are, the more attention they get. And and okay, I mean that's just the temperature yeah. of the room right now. Eventually, I am hopeful that will break in some way, because there has to be some level of politeness and and love and respect that has to come back, doesn't and it? There still is. You just got to decide who to block, who to follow, who to mute. Let's do this. I want to uh, play right here for you. We can play the greatest Oscar acceptance speech of all time. This is Joe Pesci after he won for Goodfellas. And the Oscar goes to Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. It's my privilege. Thank you. Perfect, right? That does it. (laughs) Explains everything you need to know. All right. Let me tell you about Portillo's, and then we're going to come back and do the Oscar ballot. The finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's. You know, not just hot dogs. Well, you know, when it started in Chicago, people were like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We got we got Italian beef? Wait. We got Italian sausage? Wait. You got chocolate cake? <laughs> oh, man. It's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have. And I, I think I just said this a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new, in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go. Have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And, you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not going to hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillos.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillos.com. Find a store near you or order online. And you can get it anywhere in the United States of America. Portillos.com. All right, Richard Roper, you are the king of the Oscar ballot for years sure. in your work in the Chicago Sun-Times. It was a, 
beat you at the Oscar ballot kind of contest yep. with, yep. with we got the, another contest this year. You can go to the sun, just suntimes.com and you can find her just Google Richard Roper Oscar contest. Uh, yes, I am King Richard, even though there's another <laughs> King Richard this year. So, uh, so you you often uh, do quite well. This mm. year there are seventeen hundred categories. Wait, how many are there total? Twenty three. Twenty three. Eight of them won't be on the main telecast, though. Oh man, there used to be twenty four, right? Did yeah, they combine the two sound categories. There's now just one sound category. Okay, that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now of the twenty three categories, what would you say on average you'd get as a score? Eighteen to twenty one. I got 23 a couple of times, or 24 a couple of times, I should say. Uh, the worst I've ever done is like 16 out of 24. Where you, All right. And that's always like you're just going, well, I didn't get that documentary short, right? Or I didn't get that. And that's fun, too, because that means there's surprises. And what I do like about this year, I think, is there's some pretty tight races in the major categories. Right. So we won't go through the entire ballot. If you'd like to go to suntimes.com and... Yeah see all the stuff that Richard's written about this, then you, you can follow along. But there are the main categories mm-hmm. that everybody really does give a shit about. Yes. And so you've got, uh, like, lead actor. We still start with the actor as opposed to the actress on the list because actor is ahead of actress when you do it alphabetically. A-C-T. It's like when you're D-O-R. doing a search yeah. on your TV trying to find Akron if, they're, <laughs> if the Akron zips are playing, but then you go to Arkansas by mistake or something. Big, yeah. big thing. Yeah. All right, okay. so uh, all right, so what you got here for the best actors, and most people have, uh, again, if you're interested in this, you've seen this, and this is also a little confusing too because you probably saw it on TV thinking it was like made for television and not made for yeah. the big screen. And that's the decision that the Academy has made now. So I'm still confused by this because yeah. I don't know, would being the Ricardos have ever been a big screen film, do you think? Maybe. You know, it's a good point. I mean, it, I think it was an Amazon Studios release. That's also confusing, too, because now it used to be just that um, places like Netflix were kind of just distributing uh content you know back in the day you'd go to your mailbox there'd be a dvd from netflix and then you had to return it after a while now they're producing content you know they're actually going to they're actually considered to be studios on the same footing as universal or warner brothers or whatever the case may be so you got javier bardem for being the ricardos you got benedict cumberbatch for the power of the dog we'll talk about that a little bit more here Mm -hmm. too because that's that's getting a lot of attention sam elliott's favorite movie yeah (laughs) andrew garfield who we love at tick tick boom will smith King Richard, Denzel Washington, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. Now, Denzel Washington, you know, is a crowd favorite. He's an Oscar favorite. Yeah. Uh, but is this little film going to be enough yeah. for him? Yeah. I kind of, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that that's kind of going to it. be. They love that Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. That and he was amazing in it. Uh, he would be one of the few actors to have three Academy Awards because he's got uh, Best Actor, and a Best Supporting Actor. It's interesting too, Ro, because uh, as always, almost always the case, a lot of these performances are based on real life figures. Uh, Javier Bardem is playing Desi Arnaz, right? From mm-hmm. Being the Ricardos. Uh, Andrew Garfield is playing the late Jonathan Larson who uh, wrote Rent in Tick, Tick, Boom. Will Smith is playing Richard Williams, father of Venus and Serena Williams. And you can even say Macbeth. You know, there was a, you know, <laughs> that's a real life character too. So Cumberbatch is the only pure fictional creation here for the power of the dog. I think Will Smith is going to win. I think it's his year. He's been nominated a couple times. He's never won 
because, you know, he's such a larger than life personality, and we all feel like we know him. I mean, I don't feel like I know Cumberbatch. I think, you know, you don't feel like, I mean, he seems like a great guy, but yeah. like Will Smith, you feel like if he walks in the room, he's like, hey, Will, you know, he's he's just got that Will Smith persona. Yeah. And it's a testament to his ability as an actor that he disappears into the character, the very flawed but also impressive uh, figure of Richard Williams. Uh, so I'm going with Will Smith, but I wouldn't bet against Denzel. You're going to have any one of these houses you want. Beverly Hills, Hollywood Hills, any of these old hills. Because you got a plan and you're going to stick to it. As a little boy, my mom used to say, son, the most strongest, the most powerful, the most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Ain't nothing she can't do. Y'all know how to think? Yes, Daddy. Now, these people we about to go see, you going to show them how dangerous you are? Yes, Daddy. So, supporting actor, you got generally a lot of people you've never heard of in the supporting actor thing, or people coming kind of out combination, for, yeah, coming out yeah. for the first time, or actors who are past and they come back and they do a little role, and you're like, oh, give them their Oscar finally. Yeah, the character performance. Kieran Hines for Belfast, uh, Troy Coetzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons in The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons who has won mm-hmm. an Oscar in Being the Ricardos, and then Cody Smith McPhee for The Power of the Dog, really fitting the definition. Cody Smith McPhee, a young actor, I didn't know anything about him. He's wonderful in the movie. Yeah, he's great. I him. think he's going to win. What do you think about that? Uh, I think the part of the dog gets cut in half because Jesse Plemons uh, is also excellent. Yeah, yeah, that happens. I think that uh, Kieran Hines for Belfast. Yeah, that's such a beautiful uh, and moving performance. Yeah, I, I just and I love that movie. He's an actor too that if you don't know the name, you've seen him in everything. Oh, he's he's even said that he goes, "I'll take a role. You give me work, I'm a working actor," and he's great. You could say the moon's made of green cheese and drop down up here. Or you could Enjoy do it. the project together, you and the young lady. You get the same marks and maybe end up on the same seat together. But how do you even talk to you? I do handle oh. a woman. There's a way, said the wise old man. <coughs> a way known by every woman since the whole rigmarole. Yes, yeah, so all rigmarole with you, mister. Uh, He's just, often a general in the United States Army yeah. and stuff like that in the background. Or, or in ancient Rome. You know, yeah, or yeah. or the guy that gets things done, you know, or can't get things done for you. Um, and here's something I didn't know. We talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, seeing the glamour and the glitz and everything. There are two real life couples up for Oscars this year because Javier Bardem has been with Penelope Cruz for a very long time, and she's up for uh, actress in a leading role. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kirsten Dunst, who is up for Power of the Dog, and Jesse Plemons are a couple. I didn't even know that until I read that recently. And apparently, they've been a couple for like five years. Really? And I'm like, good for them. I don't know why they're good for them. I don't know Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, <laughs> but I go, I bet they're, I bet they're cool. Yeah, but they're sort of like the opposite of Ben and J Lo in terms of right. like, you know, we we see their every move or Kim and what's his name, Pete Davidson. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I just picture Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst of, as having a, a kind of a normal life. Just a lot of talent in the room. Working actors, yeah. very great at what they yeah, do. Cool. I love that. Good that for both great. of them. Yes. That's, we that's, wish them well. That is the best thing I've heard yeah. all week. <laughs> all right. Uh, actress in a leading role. I got Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, you mentioned, Nicole Kidman, Kristen Stewart. And now, Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. Hmm. This is a movie year where you do have a lot of films that are kind of going back to that art house movement yep. of the early 70s and then you had an art house movement again in the 90s it's always been there there's always been yeah, art it's all about the, kind of the writing and the smaller yeah. stuff uh this is directed by maggie gyllenhaal by the way the yeah. lost daughter very impressive 
and and again, we have a lot of real life characters. Uh, Parallel Mothers, Penelope Cruz, and the Lost Daughter, Olivia Coleman, are purely fictional creations. Um, Jessica Chastain is playing Tammy Faye Baker in the eyes of Tammy Faye, right. the wife of the famed uh, televangelist uh, uh, Jim Baker, who's played by Andrew Garfield, by the way. It's incredible range that he's showing this year. He's also in that little Spider-Man movie. Uh, then uh, Nicole Kidman playing Lucille Ball and being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart as uh, Diana Spencer. Yeah. Know, yeah, Lady Di. So uh, this is a tight category. I think Jessica Chastain, she's been nominated a couple of times. I think it's her year because Olivia Coleman recently won, because Nicole Kidman and Penelope Cruz already have Oscars. And with Kristen Stewart, I think she was wonderful in Spencer, but that film didn't really hit with, I don't think, critics or audiences that much. So I say Jay Chass wins. <laughs> oh, Christ. Uh, I'm so, I'll so tell you tired of Hollywood I'm going to tell you the truth, too. I told her that last week. I said, you're going to win. And she wrote back, I don't even know how to respond to that. She's thinking, what are, you, what are you telling me that for? You're jinxing me. So I believe she's going to win. You know, thank God for a mom and dad who will stand with a young person. I think that's so important because no matter what happens to a young person in their lives, they're still your boy, they're still your girl, no matter what happens in their life. And I think it's very important that we as mom and dads love through anything. And that's the way with Jesus, you know. Jesus loves us through anything. Jesus loves me just the way I am. Jesus loves the way that I love. I think it's Nicole Kidman because Hollywood loves Hollywood yeah. and she's playing Lucille Ball, which there's more product about Lucille Ball out True. right now. Yeah. There's podcasts, yeah. documentaries, this film, which is really great, by the way. And yeah. if you like Aaron Sorkin did it, you yeah. Know. If you like old Hollywood, uh, it's it, and you haven't seen that, you're mm -hmm. you're really gonna dig it. And the, I think there's gonna be a broader, sort of more Hollywood esque, multiple part series about her life. To take there really through. could be, yeah, because we talked to Aaron Sorkin and he had to condense everything, you know, events that took place over many years into one week. Uh, and, you know, Nicole Kidman, it's been 20 years since she won for the hours, 20 years. So, you know, people say, oh, she's won before, but that's a long stretch yeah. in between. And and people do love her, you know, I mean, whether she's doing limited series or films, uh, and she looks the same. Uh, she kind of unfroze her face, which I was happy about because about five years ago I was a little worried about yeah. she you know, she couldn't emote and things, everything's kind of relaxed a little. And and final point I want to make about this row is uh, Penelope Cruz. Parallel Mothers is a very dark and strange and twisted tale about two women who give birth at the same time, and it might be possible, but they each took home the wrong baby. There was a case you know where the hospital screwed up, and mm -hmm. then one of the babies dies and the mom of the other baby doesn't tell the other mom that that's not really her baby that died i mean it's crazy stuff really interesting but uh penelope cruz is acting in her native language and she's better you know it's just oh, clear you know you can see case, you know yeah. that's always been the case with a lot of actors including javier bardem who's, who won an oscar for no country for old men and penelope cruz won for uh i think vicky christina barcelona but you know, when you're not having to do that translation in your head or maybe phonetically doing some line readings, it's just so she's a marvel to watch in this film. Yeah. La mía enlace sufría inadaptación extrauterina, según me dijo el médico. Pues empieza bien, le dije yo, porque esa es la vida que le espera, la extrauterina. Pues sí. Pero por lo visto no es nada. A la pobrecita le costaba controlar la respiración fuera del útero. ¿A la tuya qué le pasa? Parece que tiene un poquito bajo el azúcar. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm still I'm still going to Cole Kidman. 
Good luck, Nikki. All right, uh, actress in a supporting role. You okay. got your uh, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and Anjanou Ellis for King Richard. This often is a brand new face on the scene, yep. so I wouldn't be surprised by Anjanou Ellis here, but I'm yep. going to go with Judy Dench. I know mm. that this is like crazy and old school, but if you see the performance, if you just base it yeah. on the work, that is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. She's unrecognizable in Belfast. She's great. Um, I agree. I think she's going to win too because it costs. You know, the Academy's made a lot of changes to their membership in a good way. You know, it's gone younger, more diverse, more women, but it still skews older and traditional. And they love those Brits, so I think you know that helps Judy Dench. Interesting too. Jesse Buckley for the Lost Daughter is playing the younger version of Olivia Coleman's yeah. character in the Lost Daughter. So it's interesting that two actors are up for port in the same movie playing mm-hmm. the same character at different right. points. And she's terrific. I do agree though. I think with the other actors, they're all really, really talented. And Kirsten Dunst has been around a long time. All of them have, but kind of on the cusp of stardom. And I think there's maybe a feeling, hey, they'll get another chance among the voters. They do that sometimes too. Right. Well, Judy Dench looks like she's on death's door in this film, and only intentionally. Yeah. For the film, yeah, right. I mean, the uh, you if you have not seen Belfast again, we're going to get to this at the end. That is to me, that's my favorite movie of the year for so many reasons. I, I the, agree. The performances with you. alone yeah. are just brilliant. Yeah, it's, um, it's well, um, listen, the kids and, and are you know, great. The kids are great too. But the truth is, you know, she's playing a grandma in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles. You know, you look, you started looking like a grandma or a grandpa when you were like forty back then. <laughs> you look at the old photos. Well, there's my grandma, and you're like, oh, she was forty-seven. Then. Yeah. You know, it was tough times, baby. Judy Dench has been uh, everything and everyone, right? It's one of the best of all time. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, Okay, I want to do animated feature here, too, because that's one, especially if you draw the kids into the room, you go, hey, you want to watch this? Because this will be a part of it. And animation is not silly. It never really has been when you talk about it in the Oscar categories because these have basically always been technical marvels mm-hmm. or yeah because sure. they have to make an animated film takes five times the amount of people to make yeah. an animated film and, as and, it does. T- and time it's up they're absolutely right right so i mean these are really something uh but uh, i don't think anything is going to beat Encanto this year i agree i mean it, it first of all i think it's a, it's a brilliant film uh and the other ones I, I liked all of them but Encanto is the one that just stands out so i think yeah. that's another uh, another victory there also, uh, when uh, when we talk about like original song, we I don't know if we're going to get to the original song because there are five in this category, mm-hmm. uh, and there's one that became like a crazy international hit, right? That is this you know this Bruno thing, and it's not nominated, and that's the crazy thing, and it's a great song. Well, and that but that was Lin Manuel Miranda has taken the responsibility for that because he said you you can only submit one song and he didn't think that that was the one that was going to resonate. Oh my god! It's so, so he dumb. didn't. You know, it's surprising he didn't say, "Well, we're going to just nominate it anyway, man." Uh, but I I still think uh, Encanto gets the best song there. Um, I, I I don't remember some of these to be honest. Some of them I think played over closing credits. Let's be honest. And No Time to Die from No Time to Die. Eh. Yeah, there was some time to die, but um, right. Well, maybe Billie Eilish. Uh, 
you know, I don't yeah. know. She yeah. gets a, she's she is a, a Hollywood darling. Maybe so maybe she, she and gets Phineas it. will go up there and and do yeah. a live performance. And that's that song won a Grammy two years ago, didn't it? Jeez, was, I don't. It was up for a Grammy or something like that. In, I mean, in it's 2014. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that got delayed a lot. No, uh, you know, still, the best Bond songs to me but, are you know "Live and Let Die" and "The Spy Who Loved Me" back yeah. from back it's, in the day. Right. This is good though, and it's good, and it fits the film. And this is an excellent Bond film, by the way. It's not. Yep. Yep. It's not it one of the you know Bond films. Films kind of come in three categories: the classic old ones that it, it would never stand up today, but you still love yeah. watching them. Then there's the crappy sort of middle period, yeah. and then there's the overdriven. Yeah, and there's four categories, <laughs> and then and then there's like there's good art, you know, and yeah. and it's interesting. Casino Royale, and, yeah, and, and Daniel like Craig is in a lot of the good art ones. Yeah, so. yeah they went uh, they went tougher and grittier, and this one does too. Yeah, really, really great. Uh, so I think you're right, though, for original score, it's going to be Encanto for sure. All right, now let's get to the big ones here. Best picture? Yep. So we have 10 nominees. I think they're going to go back to five next year. I hope uh, so. There's been talk. Uh, 10, you know, listen, everybody gets to say now their picture is nominated for, you know, the Academy Award, and that's great. But it does seem to kind of dilute the water. Yeah. It's uh, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up. Drive My Car, which, by the way, Drive My Car is a Japanese film that's also up for international feature film. So it will win for best international feature film. It won't win for best picture. Uh, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Power of the Dog is the favorite, but not prohibitive. I could see Belfast winning for sure. And there's a lot of momentum for Coda, which is this amazing film with all four lead actors are deaf or hearing impaired, including mm -hmm. Marley Matlin, who won for Children of a Lesser God many, many years ago. It's got a lot of momentum. I, I like the film a lot. I don't think it has the, as they used to say, the gravitas of a Best Picture winner. Belfast certainly does. Mm -hmm. uh, and The Power of the Dog, just, you know, the truth is it's got the kind of subject matter. It's it's beautiful and sensitive and thoughtful, and, and it's a period piece set in the early 20th century, and it's got great acting. It's the kind of movie that wins Best Picture, honestly. Yeah, it is. And it is interesting when you watch it and you realize that's, from a hundred years ago, that's yeah. not from like 150 years ago. Even though right. it feels like it's older yeah. than it is. Yeah, it's not in the old west. No, it's in kind of the new west, I guess. Right, yeah. it, 1925, I want to say, right around there. Exactly. Right. You know, there's automobiles are ubiquitous yeah. as yeah. opposed to horses, and it's like it's it is which made it more interesting to me. Yeah, you know, that it wasn't a traditional western. It was uh, set in the American uh, Great Northwest, but filmed in New Zealand, where Jane Campion is from, the director, who, by the way, is up for her second. She was nominated for the piano years ago, but there was a guy named Steven Spielberg who uh, had Schindler's List that hmm. year, so he won. But Jane Campion, I do think, is going to win, which would be two years in a row for a female director win. For best director, I'm saying. You know, you can tell it's New Zealand when you watch the film. It doesn't look like the American Interesting. West. Interesting. I have to go back and look. Honestly, yeah. I have to go back and look. It's It's got this um, this kind of rolling topography that is very different yeah, than the American wow. West. And you and and I was taken out of the film in some ways by that. Huh. That I'm like, yeah, this isn't really... You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because now when I go back and look at it, you know, when I went to the advanced screening of The Power of the Dog, I tried, I tried to keep away from a lot of the materials about the film until I see the film and then, you know, I avoid trailers if I can and read about it afterward... I thought it was actually set in New Zealand. I thought, well, this is interesting. Yeah. These people, some of these, but but then when everybody was American, I'm like, okay, no, because no. at first, I, when we first saw the the rancher or whatever, Benedict Cumberbatch's character and Jesse Plemons as the brothers living in this kind of bizarre boarding house type of thing, I thought they had relocated to New Zealand for some reason. Yeah, 
That's interesting. Or or Australia. I wasn't sure, but that so I guess subconsciously I was picking up on what you're saying. The American West has been filmed in these iconic places, right? You know, Monument Valley and and we we have this sense of what the West should look like. Or we, yeah. you know, in in your professional life when you were working in New Mexico, uh going down and doing yeah. stuff on those those sets in New Mexico that yeah. you know now we see for everything from Breaking Bad to Mars movies. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, they we're, we're kind of used to seeing what the background of that looks like. And there was yeah, something about that yeah. that 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 movie that took me a little out of it. And, I, and quite honestly, I get it. Um, I didn't end up loving the way that they wrapped that movie up. They moved that story along and then... Very dark and strange. And you're like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. And so I have a... Uh, it's it's a, a real it, listen. Benedict Cumberbatch is great. This kid who's you know making mm. his big time debut here is awesome. Uh, it, it's very 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 well done. I don't happen to think as a complete experience mm. it has the same sort of rounded out beauty that Belfast has. I would agree completely. Uh, I if, listen. If the power of the dog wins. It. it it certainly deserves it. I did like the film. I admired it more than I loved it. I wonder what little lady made these. Actually, I did, sir. My mother was a florist, so I made them to look like the ones in our garden. Oh, well, do pardon me. They're just as real as possible. I would say that as years go by, it would be considered, relatively speaking, one of the lesser films to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Belfast, to me, it's just beautifully done. It's shot mostly in black and white. And yeah, it is a period piece. It's also a movie that's a lot about the love of movies and TV. There's a scene where the family goes to see yeah. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. and talk about, you know, we, we've been talking about this throughout the podcast, escapism, you know, and they forget about everything that's happening outside of the door for a while. And there's a huge uh, homage to High Noon and various TV shows of the time playing in the background. So it's, a, it's kind of a very cinematic film on more levels than one. And Kenneth Branagh's unbelievable, you know, He's won Oscars in multiple categories because he's an actor, he's a writer, he's a director, he's yeah. a producer, uh, yeah. and he and he he's done every genre. And it's interesting in this one that he decided I'll stay behind the camera, and you know that there's not the right character for me. The young uh, couple is too young, the older couple's too old. Or he certainly could have played you know some some role in there. And I think in this case he he wanted to tell a story because this is the story of his own life. He actually grew up in Northern Ireland and then moved to Great Britain with his family when he was about nine or ten years old because of all the strife that was happening in Ireland. Child actors were amazing. The whole thing. It kids is, were great. It's the kids felt like kids. I know yeah. that there are a lot of people that's a hard sell for this. It's a, it's it's about Belfast. It's you know not from here. Yeah. The soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. The, the, the cinematography is beautiful. And it reminds me of A Bronx Tale. A little bit. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That's a good comparison. It's sort of this, even though it's about a lot of tough things. There's a little romanticized, you know, filter. There's a scene in in Belfast amidst all the difficult uh, times and all the controversies and all the strife the family's facing, where uh, Jamie Dornan, who's a terrific actor, you know, people think, oh, wasn't that the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey? Forget about that. He's really, really good. Yeah. And he sings a, a great pop classic called Everlasting Love to his wife. 
and I'll, it's like a music video. It, it has no bearing to like the real gritty, realistic feel of the rest of the movie. It's almost stylized, and it's because it's that's kind of how he's remembering it. You know, uh, yes. you know, the young boy is kind of really telling the story from his point of view. Right. And in his mind, all of a sudden, his father, who was sometimes kind of distant and sometimes not there in more ways than one, but also had this great love story with his mother. And he saw that when this song, when his dad did this song. It's great. And, it's really and it's cool. it's a real family. And that family yeah, is a real yeah. family yep. in uh, Belfast or in Cleveland yep. or you know, anywhere throughout the world, yep. you know, that you see that and you feel that, that love. It's, uh, I, I just couldn't have been a more beautiful film. So I hope that that wins. It definitely deserves it. I hope that we get through this some way, shape or form. It'll be interesting, you know, <laughs> as we head toward the actual ceremony, like what the post COVID, but now we're a little afraid of the new variant, what that's going to all look like. Mm-hmm. Peace is going to, within, you know, within weeks, this thing changes, so we don't know. So by the time we get to Sunday night. Oh, no. We're going to be back at the train station? <laughs> well, I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know. Well, they'll be like, oh, no, now everybody's got to be in masks, but it doesn't go with the dress. And I don't know. I mean, I just, we'll just have to see. This is the era in which we live, which is also the era of the podcast. And when I mention the podcast, I should mention that this podcast is brought to us by our very dear friends at American Eagle which is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. want to thank Tim Melanius and Renee Nelson, our executive producers, and Demita Menezes, our long-suffering editor and production director. See you next time. Ta-da!